Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 32 through to 52. Jesus predicts his death a third time. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting there by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, keep your Bibles open. Uh, maybe you've read that story before. Perhaps uh, this is the first time you've ever heard it. Uh, either way, if you can follow along, you'll be well served as we uh, work our way through it today. Um, it is an incredible offer, isn't it? Uh, it's an incredible thing that Jesus says in that passage, twice in fact, to two different groups of people he says it. Uh, what do you want me to do for you? That's, that's something, isn't it? What do you want me to do for you? Uh, imagine that. Imagine Jesus said that to you. What, me, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, I had a friend. Uh, this friend was staying with a rich auntie he didn't get to see very often. Uh, she was a well-off auntie, uh, maybe because she didn't have kids of her own. <laughs> uh, but because she didn't have kids of her own, she wanted to spoil my friend. And so she took him to a toy store. Now, this was not just an ordinary toy store. This is a toy mega store, uh, absolutely enormous. 
And she took him to this store. It's got everything you could ever imagine, a 12-year-old's dream. And she said to him, you can have whatever you want in this store. (laughs) Clearly, she had no kids. No parent would do that. You understand the consequences. You can have anything you want in this store. Whatever you like, choose it and I'll buy it for you. <laughs> can you. Can you imagine? What, what, what would you do? I mean, y- your mind would explode, wouldn't it? You're know, running up and down the aisles. What, what would you choose? Uh, what did my friend choose? My friend chose a tennis ball. <laughs> I kid you not. My friend chose a tennis ball out of this toy mega store. One tennis ball. <laughs> um, his auntie told him he had to go back and choose something a bit more special. That wasn't enough. What do you want me to do for you? What do you do if Jesus asks that of you? What do you answer? <laughs> where, where does your mind go? That's, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, isn't it? You know, you, you dream of Aladdin's genie and the three wishes. Well, this is kind of like that, isn't it? You, you don't want to make the wrong choice and regret it. You know, a tennis ball. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Well, two people get asked that question in this passage. One answers really well. One answers really badly. But what we actually get to see in this passage is how Jesus helps us to answer this question well. What we see is how Jesus helps those who trust him to answer this question best. We're going to see that as we unfold these words today. Now, Jesus uh, has his face set towards Jerusalem now. You you may have noticed over the past few weeks, ever since halfway through chapter 8, Jesus has been heading towards Jerusalem. He keeps talking about what's going to come there. Uh, We know what happens at Easter, so we know what's ahead. But that's, that's looming over this story. They are on the road there. It is an uphill journey, both literally and spiritually. And Jesus keeps trying to explain to his disciples what's going to take place. This is the third time he explains it. Look with me again at verse 32 to 34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is the most detailed explanation Jesus gives. The third has has the fullest uh, picture of what is to come. And it's not good. Jesus says, this is where we're heading. The Son of Man's going to be betrayed. He's going to be condemned. He's going to be sentenced to death. The Jews will, will bring up the charges. The Gentiles will execute it. This is what's coming. This is what is going to be done to me, he says. That's what they'll do. Notice what he'll do. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus has a clear picture of what's coming. It's not a surprise to him. It's not as if he's going to be caught unawares. He, he knows where he's going. We're, we're told, uh, Mark says, this, he, he's leading the way. You get this picture of Jesus out in front and the disciples in the crowd lagging behind him. And it's not only true in a physical sense. 
but it's true in the in sense of their understanding they just don't get what's coming and i don't think anything makes that any clearer than what they say next look at verse 35 remember this is right off the back of jesus speaking of his own suffering and death and look what they say then james and john the sons of zebedee came to him teacher they said we want you to do for us whatever we ask what do you want me to do for you he asked they replied let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory you've got to give them points for boldness like that, that takes some stones to come up to jesus and ask that less points for rudeness but that makes it three times now doesn't it three times jesus says this is what's going to happen to me three times the disciples say but what about us <laughs> what can we get out of this three times they've been completely self-absorbed do for us whatever we ask that is an insane thing to ask of jesus isn't it i mean if your kid asked you that you know, dad do for me whatever i ask of you like that's not going to end well clearly they've got something in mind and incredibly graciously jesus doesn't shut them down as they deserve what do you want me to do for you well their plan is clear isn't it jesus when you become king can we be your governors <laughs> can we sit on either side uh, share in your glory enjoy all the perks and have a spot next in command now to their credit what they have actually realized is that jesus really is the messiah they're, they're starting to believe that but what they're expecting is when they get to jerusalem he's going to go up he's going to kick the romans out he's going to take the spot on top of the throne and he's going to rule and he's going to bring about this great and powerful and glorious kingdom and they're like we want a piece of that that sounds awesome but they've missed what jesus has been saying all along jesus replies do you think do you really think you can walk this path with me do you really think that's possible look at verse 38 you don't know what you're asking jesus said can you drink the cup i drink or be baptized with the baptism i am baptized with we can they answered jesus said to them you will drink the cup i drink and be baptized with the baptism i am baptized with but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared when the ten heard about this they became indignant with james and john uh, jesus talks about a cup and a baptism it sounds a little bit strange to us he's picking up on some old testament ideas um, when when the old testament speaks of cup and, and sometimes of immersion or baptism it, it's often doing it in the terms of judgment and death and suffering jesus is saying again that's coming that's the path i'm walking to not a, not a cup of glory not a baptism into power but suffering and pain he says do you realize what you're asking do you really want to join me because if you want to walk my path that's what's involved they don't get it but as he says they are going to walk it <laughs> the others are, the others are furious the others are furious with with this request and with this uh, conversation when they get onto it not because you know james and john have been so rude to jesus uh, they're furious because you know we didn't think of that first <laughs> you know they, they might have got ahead of us 
But Jesus' rebuke is for all of them. You don't get it. What you're asking, it's not rainbows and unicorns on the way to, you know, a great spot and everything you've ever dreamed of. My way is hard. My way is costly. My way is painful. Do you really want to ask for that? One, one commentator remarks that we, we see a, a wonderful picture of God's grace here. He says, for how wretched we should be if God granted every request for which we foolishly prayed. That's true, isn't it? How, how bad a place would we be if God actually gave us everything we asked for? Uh, I remember the first time I ever got to drink coffee. Um, I, I think I was about 13. Uh, I'd always wanted to drink coffee. You know, the cool kids at school drank coffee. My parents drank stacks and stacks of coffee. It just looked so grown up and I wanted so badly to be grown up. But it was always, you're too young to drink coffee. You won't like it. You're too young. Anyway, finally I got my chance. Uh, we're out fishing. It was freezing cold. Uh, and the only warm thing we had was hot water and coffee. <laughs> it was great. Like, couldn't have worked out better. So we got the mug, got a teaspoon of instant, stale instant, of course, a mug of hot water. And in that moment, I learned that coffee is gross. I couldn't admit that, you know, because you, you've got to live up to the hype that you've created for yourself and say, oh, it just needs a bit of sugar. You know, four, five, six, <laughs> and milk, more milk. Uh, it made me feel rotten. <laughs> felt pretty gross after that first coffee. I think it was several years now, you know, I've grown up, but yeah. Jesus says, what you're asking isn't good for you. I know better. What you're asking isn't good for you. I, I can't give it. I won't give it. Instead, you have to learn my kingdom. You have to learn what my kingdom is like. And this, this is what it's like. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. This is what my kingdom is like. Yes, kingdoms of the world, that's what they're like. They, they have high officials, they lord it and rule it over one another. Not here. It's not how it works. Glory in my kingdom is service. The way up is slavery to all. That's real greatness. That is what true greatness is about. Why? Because that's the way of the king. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom is upside down. That's the picture here. Earthly kingdoms, everyone's trying to get to the top. Jesus' kingdom, the king went to the bottom and he says, that's what it's about. That's how it works. That's what Jesus came to do. Though he is the king of everything, though, you know, remember those verses we started the service with? He's everlasting and overall. He didn't come to rule like that. He came to be a servant and to take service to its ultimate conclusion, even to giving his entire life. And this is so important that, that 
key verse, uh, word that Karina pulled out in the kids' talk. He gave his life as a ransom. A ransom for many. That is, to pay the price for the lives of many. To buy them out. That's literally what ransom means. Maybe, maybe you can think about, think about it like this. You could maybe think about ransom a bit like bail. You know, picture, picture a court scene. The Bible says, we were the guilty. The sentence, uh, evidence had been given. The sentence had been passed. We were condemned, guilty before God, guilty of rejecting Him, uh, guilty of disobeying, guilty of rebellion against Him. And the sentence for our crime was judgment. And the price of our bail was death. Now, that puts us in a bind, doesn't it? Talk about a rock and a hard place, judgment and death. No escape from that. No way out of that. But this is where the court scene kind of breaks down a little bit because Jesus, who was there uh, reading out those crimes, then jumps the fence. And he comes and, comes and stands in our place in order to act as our ransom, to pay the price for us, taking our sentence on himself taking that death, paying the bail for us so that we can go free. He buys us out of the bind that we were in so that we could be free. In the ultimate act of service, giving not just his time or his energy, but his life, his entire life, so that we can live. Jesus is our ransom. Jesus is our life. And Jesus is our pattern for living. Because he says, follow me. That's what it means to be part of his kingdom. Follow me. Seek greatness in service. Try to be first by being last of all. <laughs> it's, really, it's really tempting for us to think, but we're not the disciples. You know, I've never wanted to sit on Jesus' right hand or his left. That's not what I'm about. <laughs> just getting there, you know, just getting there. That's good enough for me. And yeah, look, maybe that's true. Maybe we don't seek that type of glory. Maybe you've never thought I'd want to sit on Jesus' left in his kingdom. But it doesn't mean that we're immune to this issue, does it? Yes, we might not look for that position, but are we... Are we the servants and slaves of all that Jesus calls us to be? Is that the calling that we embrace? Because actually, I think if we really boil it down, if we're really honest with ourselves, what we like is just being that little bit ahead. Not of everyone, no, that would be unrealistic. But we like being just a little bit better, don't we? You know, at least compared to them. Whoever them is for you. Ah, I've got my head screwed on a little bit better. I, I've come to understand that a little bit better. I, I've got things a little bit more together than them. And, you know, if I don't, uh, well, I'll focus on myself and I'll get myself right and then I'll be in that place. See, we end up, we wind up playing this kind of Christian one-upmanship, don't we? I, I'm, I'm better than X, now I'm better than Y. Look at the way I'm growing. Look at their flaws, look at their weaknesses. I'm glad that's not me. Of course, we're never quite so uh, open about it. But it's ugly, isn't it? And how is that any different from the disciples? That's exactly what they were doing, just on a grander scheme. We're, we're trying to put ourselves ahead. 
just as they were. And Jesus says, no, that's not how my kingdom works. Instead of reaching to be further ahead, make sure no one's below you. And if they are, serve them. Be a slave to them. Don't push ahead, uh, push yourself to the head of the line and said, go back and help the stragglers. Be last of all. Do the, the dirty work. Do the job that no one wants to. Do, do what no one will notice and what no one will congratulate you for or praise you for. And don't trumpet it so that others might notice. Just do it. If you find yourself comparing yourself to others and you know, rating yourself against others and you know, feeling like you're coming out kind of favourably in this situation, then serve that person. You've identified a need. Great. <laughs> Help them. Rather than pumping yourself up in order to you know, get that little kick and feel good, help someone else grow. Come alongside them. Read the Bible with them. Pray with them. Serve them. Build them up. That together you can grow. That's what Jesus' way is about, isn't it? It's about lowering ourselves in order to raise others up. To be willing to serve whenever and wherever that opportunity arises. Maybe that's in introducing someone to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe that's in helping someone in that walk with Jesus. Just move that little bit further to the right and grow in their understanding and their knowledge of him. That is the truly great role that we've been given. Humble though it is, weak though it is. Jesus doesn't call us to more than he's done for us. He who is your life, who served you with his life, asks you to serve others. But how do we start on that path? How do we get there? Well, we actually find out in the next section because we meet there a character who, who couldn't be more different than the disciples. The, the contrast is just wonderful. We meet there blind Bartimaeus. Look at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. Uh, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus uh, and his group, they're heading out of Jericho. Um, the road ahead of them is literally a steep climb for about 20 miles up to the city of Jerusalem. They've got a hard road ahead and they're just about to begin it. But they're on the road. They're, they're, they're on their way. And Bartimaeus isn't. Notice, it's, it's, it, we're told he's off to the side. He's, he's on the side of the road, this blind man begging for help. And ironically, though he is blind, Bartimaeus sees far more clearly than the disciples, doesn't he? You know, the disciples are confused about Jesus. They don't understand what he's about, what, it's gonna, what he's going to do. But Bartimaeus sees, the blind man sees, Jesus, son of David, he calls out. And in that, there's a, there's a recognition. Now, you might be thinking, well, hang on a sec. I know my Christmas story. Jesus' dad was Joseph. 
But what Bartimaeus is saying here is, he's saying, yeah, I understand that, but I know my Old Testament. See, Bartimaeus knows that in the Old Testament, God had promised that a saviour would come. He promised that a king like King David, but far better, would come and rescue his people and lead them out of their distress and restore them. And that king would come from the line of David. He would be a great descendant of David. See, what Bartimaeus is saying is, you're it. Jesus, you're that guy. You're God's promised saviour. His eyes are closed, but he sees it clearly. And Jesus hears him and calls him. Uh, Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Uh, there's, a, there's a kid song that recounts this story and um, Amira was a big fan of that story and for, for, uh, of that song. For such a long time she used to sing it wrong. She used to sing, um, Jesus, tell me I am blind. That's what Bartimaeus said. <laughs> no, not heal me I am blind, but tell me I am blind. Well, that would be the most pointless story in the whole Bible. You're blind, Bartimaeus. Anyway, she's figured it out now. But that's not the point, is it? Je- I mean, the point is Jesus asks this man, what do you want? It's that question again, what do you want me to do for you? Well, you think, Jesus, it's pretty obvious. Don't just tell me I am blind. Jesus, heal me, I am blind. <laughs> like, seriously, it's pretty obvious. But actually, maybe not. Maybe there's other things Bartimaeus could have longed for. Maybe Bartimaeus too could have asked for a spot next to Jesus in his kingdom, but he doesn't. I want to see. Help me recover my sight, Jesus. Jesus, I I want nothing from you but what I lack. Restore me. Make me whole. Heal me. He trusts Jesus. And Jesus heals. And that word, we've, we've mentioned it before in Mark, the word for healing, literally saving. Bartimaeus's plight, his great lack, is met in Jesus. Jesus restores. Jesus makes him whole. Jesus meets his need. Now notice, uh, notice what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, uh, the NIV has go. The word is literally, go on your way. You've got what you asked for, you are free to go, wherever you choose. You know, the the, the world is your oyster. And notice, notice what Bartimaeus does. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You know, he was at the start of this story off the road. He was was on the side. But now he's healed. Now, I mean, literally, the the world is his oyster. He could have gone anywhere. Maybe he had family he wanted to see. Maybe he wanted to actually see the world for the first time. But what does he choose to do instead? He chooses to ignore all of that and instead go along with Jesus to follow along next to him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of turning up somewhere missing exactly what you lack to be there. Um, I, must be, I, I must be pretty absent-minded, you, you probably know that already, 
um, because I seem to do this all the time. You know, I, I uh, turn up for a bike ride and I realise I've left my helmet and my shoes uh, and my gloves all at home. I mean, I remember the bike, I've got something going for me. But <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but I've also turned up fishing and without my fishing rod, um, which is really humiliating. <laughs> Even more frustrating, I've turned up fishing with two pieces of two different rods that don't go together. And you're like, well, that's stupid. But it, I mean, it's, a, it's an awful feeling, isn't it? Uh, maybe you've had it, you know, you turn up at the petrol station, you fill your car, you go to the register and you... Well, it's on the kitchen table. <laughs> that's, that's awkward. <laughs> now what? Or maybe you go to a concert, you get to the gate and you realise, ah, my ticket's in my other bag. You're so close and so left out. Well, imagine Bartimaeus here. Bartimaeus is here with Jesus. Jesus is literally right in front of him, right there. But how can he follow? I mean, he's a blind man. How can he walk this road, this difficult road to Jerusalem? He can't. It's impossible. How frustrating. Well, Bartimaeus is a picture of us. He's a picture of you and me. Because like him, we lack what we need to follow Jesus. <laughs> we could be as, as close to anyone to Jesus, but we can't follow him on our own. We, we can't do him. We can't walk that path. We lack what we need to do it. It is physically impossible. Unless, that is, unless we too trust Jesus. And when he offers his grace, as he does even today, what do you want me to do for you? We answer, heal us. Restore us. Make us whole. Not just so we can be healed. Not just so we can be restored. But so we can follow. So we can walk his path to the place that he is going, to his kingdom, to eternal resurrection life in him. What is the right answer to this question? What is the best thing we can ask of Jesus? Help us follow you. Make it possible. Heal our fault. Fix our shortcoming. Meet our great sin-caused plight. Open our eyes so we can walk your path. And when we trust him, that's exactly what he gives us. So you can't uh, you know, decide that Jesus is the best way. Uh, you can't find the path in any amount of wisdom or research or study or goodness or whatever. You can, only, you can only humbly go to Jesus and say, I can't even find the way without your help, let alone take the first step on it. And you can trust him to open your eyes. That's, that's the right answer to his question, isn't it? What do you want me to do for you? Help me to trust you to follow you. To start that journey, we need his help to open our eyes, to, to heal our illness, to set us on that path. 
and to walk that journey in humility and service and giving. Help us to trust you. It is a hard path. It is costly. We walk it as servants and slaves, not as heroes. But we accept it. Not for the glory of sacrifice, but for the preciousness of the one whom we follow, for, for Jesus himself. <laughs> it seems bizarre, doesn't it? What, what do you want me to do for you? Well, <laughs> Jesus, here's my list. You know, I, health and wealth and power and you know world peace and maybe an end to COVID and all that sort of stuff the best answer help me walk your path the road is hard the reward is perfect but I can't do it alone help me to trust you and walk it after all he's made it possible he's our ransom who rescues, he's our restorer, who gets us going and who sees us home. Help us to walk at Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we, we thank you. We thank you that you are the ransom who gave your life, the ultimate act of service, to open your kingdom to sinners like us. We thank you that you are the restorer, the good restorer, who heals sinners, who forgives, so that we can follow and we can walk your path. We ask for your help, your help that we would be humble to trust you and to walk your costly way. Lord, we confess uh, so often we, we find ourselves looking to you as just our way to get ahead or just our way to be comfortable in this life or to get what we need but you're so much better than that you're our savior you're the way to life eternal to perfection and glory in your kingdom forgive us we pray and help us to follow you on this harder path help us to serve and be humble as you did for us help us to lift others up as you lifted us up may we follow your way may we be willing to pay its cost knowing that you have paid the ultimate price for us. In your name we pray. Amen.